Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce our host of Business Talk. He's the editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here's George O'Brien. Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Business Talk. Uh, We have a great show for you today uh, by uh, return engagement. uh, He's been on the show a few times. We have Eric Lesser. He is the state senator for the 1st Hampton and Hampshire District, which currently represents nine communities in this area. We, we hope it'll continue to represent nine communities, although we're not really sure. Are we, Eric? Uh, and that's something we could talk about later. Uh, uh, yeah. How are you, George? Good to see you. Good I'm to very you. good. <laughs> so, anyway, as I mentioned, we've had uh, Eric on the show uh, a few times before. Uh, we always have a uh, a lot to talk about when we have Eric on the show, and, and today we have even more to talk about because Eric is one of the five finalists for Business West prestigious Alumni Achievement Award. Congratulations, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for that, George. Yeah, we'll be no, talking to our other five finalists over the next several weeks or so. We'll be announcing that winner come September. For, for those of you who don't know, and most of you should, uh, this is an award we started back in 2015 kind of an extension of our 40 under 40 program. Eric came in, I'm going to guess 2015. Uh, yep. Yes. Uh, ran ran hey. for office 2014, took office 2015. Yeah. Exactly. I'm pretty good at this. There's like 500 of you out there now, but I can still remember some of them. Anyway. So for honorees who continue to pad their resumes and, and do good things on their jobs and in the community, we have this alumni achievement award and uh, Eric, again, congratulations on being one of our finalists. You are a finalist. Uh, I, looking over your resume, I think you've impressed the judges with your work to level the playing field out here in Western Massachusetts and create economic development opportunities out here. Um, number of initiatives. Of course, the one that comes to top of mind is high-speed rail, uh, East-West Rail, or as I try to rename it, Commonwealth Rail. That, that yes. never got very far, but that's another story. Tell us where this project is and uh, what we can expect in the, in the coming months. Yeah, so I mean, really, in many respects, it's uh, it's got as much momentum as it's ever had. So uh, just, just a couple months ago, in, in early January, the state completed its feasibility study of, of rail service. If you remember, this is the study that I first tried to get done back in 2015, uh, and the governor uh, vetoed an attempt to get this study done in 2016. Make a very long story short, uh, we finally got the commitment from MassDOT to do the study. It took more than two years, uh, cost over a million dollars. Uh, but for the first time really ever, certainly in modern modern times, the state now does have a feasibility analysis done of connecting the whole Commonwealth, as you say, George, by rail service, Pittsfield, all the way to Boston, of course, through Springfield, Framingham, Worcester, uh, and Palmer, uh, which is which is important uh, to keep in mind. So that piece is done. Uh, the big game changer for us in all of this is the change in Washington. Uh, you now have Joe Biden as president. Obviously, he's a big train buff. He Amtrak Joe is his nickname. And you have a very significant infrastructure package winding its way through Congress. 
And we've got some stalwart supporters, including Richard Neal, obviously based in Springfield, and Jim McGovern based in Worcester, who have pushed this project uh, very hard. So, you know, the stars really could come together uh, if you have the combination of the state feasibility analysis completed side by side, this new federal infrastructure money that could help pay for the project. Uh, you, you, could, you could see this could be one of the most pivotal years in, in decades of trying uh, for, for actually getting shovels in the ground. Can you uh, give us a gauge for what the legislature, I mean, this still has to gain the approval of the legislature and the governor, I assume. Uh, can you gauge how much support, I guess that's an industry term, gauge, but um, just how much backing we have for this now? I know it's close, closer than it's ever been, but does it have enough to get over the hump? Well, it's a it, it's an infrastructure project, so you know a lot of the spending would be through bonding, which we've already approved. I, I'd point out uh, the legislature. Uh, I included a measure in the transportation bond bill that we did last year that includes a, a basically down payment account on getting East West Rail moving in the sense of putting in the prep work, doing the sort of site prep, doing some of the early stage uh, kind of remediation and preparation work that we would need for the big resources, which would come from the federal government. But I got to say, I mean, the, the, the governor's uh, enthusiasm for this project has been lukewarm at best. Uh, at times, it's been outright hostile. He did veto the project uh, back in 2016, or he vetoed the study. Uh, and we're going to have trouble, I think, moving it forward without, you know, a more enthusiastic support from the governor. So I've been working on him. I, I know Congressman Neal has been working on him. Uh, I know many other legislators have been, have been working on this, as is the business community. Uh, but but uh, it's going to be hard to get done, quite frankly, if you don't have partnership from the executive branch. After all, they do run MassDOT and they, they call the shots in terms of the bonding spending. So, you know, an, an analogous, uh, some, some historical comparisons to use on this is, you know, the big dig, uh, which is controversial for us in Western Mass. We help pay for it. Right. Uh, a part of what made the big dig happen was you had everybody working together. You had Ted Kennedy and Joe Moakley pushing the federal money uh, in Washington, alongside Governor Dukakis and at the time his Secretary of Transportation, Fred Salvucci, coordinating closely with them on a state end. Uh, you don't have the same level of coordination right now, at least not that we've observed, between the governor making the project a priority uh, and, and, the, and the feds making the project a priority. I think we've very clearly seen that the federal delegation wants it to happen. The legislative delegation wants it to happen. The business community uh, certainly wants it to happen, but we've got work to do on convincing the governor. Okay, well, continued good luck uh, to that. When do you expect uh, movement on this? Uh, is it fourth quarter of this year? Is it early next year? Is it? Uh, well, like I said, the very the biggest item that we're kind of waiting on is right now is the federal infrastructure bill. So, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine about what's going to happen there. Uh, it does look like they want to get something done on infrastructure, uh, and it looks like they're getting closer to a deal in Washington. I, I do think it's, you know, hopefully will be by this fall. Uh, and, uh, you know, could even maybe be sooner, who knows. But uh, you know, I think you're looking at certainly this year, ideally Q3, maybe early Q4 uh, of this year, you would you would see the federal infrastructure come bill 
finalized, come together, signed by Biden. And once we see that bill, you know, and see what's in that federal package, I think we're going to have a good idea of what kind of resources will trickle then will then trickle down to the state for for East West Rail. Okay. All right. So while we're trying to move forward on rail, you've got another project on your hands now, the the Future of Work Commission. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. This is a subject that's on uh, everyone's mind right now uh, more than, I mean, this was a subject before the pandemic. Uh, People just didn't know what uh, the world of work was going to look like and and where people would work and how. And then the pandemic kind of uh, gave us this laboratory of sorts and, I kind of moved the picture forward a little bit, but there's still a whole lot of question marks. Uh, who's on this commission and, and what's, what's this all about? Yeah, so uh, it's a very exciting topic, obviously, very high stakes topic. I mean, some of the biggest questions facing society right now, what is work going to look like? How are we going to address inequality? How are commuting patterns changing, living arrangements changing, both as a result of COVID and as a result of all the technology and cultural changes that have happened around COVID? I'd point out this was a topic that was very much a hot focus before the pandemic. I filed the legislation to put this commission together uh, several years ago, including several years before COVID happened, uh, but it became obviously even more urgent since then. What this is, is it's a statutory commission. So it's a little bit different than our normal legislative committees. Uh, What this is, is a, a kind of blue ribbon commission per se of officials, leaders from across segments of government, across the private sector, across the public sector and the nonprofit sector, who are going to be kind of convening to ask this question of in the the world that is changing, especially around work, the move towards hybrid work models, the rise of technology, the rise of gig work, you know, uh, platforms like Uber and Lyft that have really changed the historic relationship between an employer and employee in this world that is rapidly changing. What does Massachusetts need to do to stay in front of these changes so that we're ultimately beneficiaries of these social and technological changes rather than, than than, than hurt by them? Uh, and that's a very big question. So it's broad and high level by design. Uh, so there are 17 members of this commission. There's several appointed by the governor, several appointed by the attorney general, several appointed by each house of the legislature. And we're coming together to, to first just take testimony from experts, get our head around uh, what's really happening to the workforce, what's happening to society right now. And then we're going to put forward some recommendations. How do we update our worker protections in the era of gig and remote work? How do we update our worker safety nets? How do we think about commuting and public transportation in an era when people are not necessarily all going into a city center for 9am and all leaving at 5pm and staying in one office location that whole time. There's going to probably be the need for more iterative trips, schedules that are more dynamic uh, throughout the day. What do we do about broadband access, which has become even higher stakes when you think about the rise of things like telehealth, remote education, uh, and and remote work? So we're, we're going to kind of be going through... Um, just a whole host of policy questions and kind of thinking about where are we going to be two years, five years, 10 years from now, and where we need the policies and laws to catch up to make the most of those changes. Mm. I know it's early on, but uh, how do you think this state stacks up to other states when it comes to being able to 
uh, thrive in that new environment. It, we've got a lot of very talented people in the state, obviously, but it's a, still an expensive state in which right. to do business. Uh, a lot of hurdles, high taxes, uh, not exactly a business-friendly state. So, uh, Well, it, you know, I, I think that it's a very uh, high-stakes question because uh, it really actually could depend. Uh, and um, you know, McKinsey just came out with a report. Uh, the, the, uh, the Baker administration commissioned a report that came out yesterday uh, asking some of these questions. And, of course, our own commission uh, is looking at this very closely. There are a lot of elements of the Massachusetts economy that actually make us poised to be a beneficiary of the move towards remote work and technology. Uh, we are the undisputed center for life sciences, which is a booming sector and is expected to continue to grow. Uh, a lot of those jobs are very hard to outsource and actually can't be done remotely because it's lab work. It's, uh, you know, it's collaborative work in a lab, it's engineering. Uh, so, th so to the extent that our economy is a center for tech and innovation and healthcare, we very much could be uh great beneficiaries of the kind of explosion in those sectors. But you're right, George, the, the kind of other piece that we've got to think about is it's a very expensive state to live in. Uh, housing is very expensive and is going up at a very high rate. And if people don't need to live here anymore uh, because they could uh, remotely work for a Fidelity or a State Street Bank or a Mass Mutual, but they could live in a much lower cost area, uh, you you could see that really really hurting Massachusetts. So it's going to depend. Uh, I think, in, and I don't think anyone really knows how it's going to shake out. But what I think we need to do is we've got to continue to build on and invest in and grow out the the areas where we're very strong, and we've got to do everything we can to minimize and beef up the areas where we're weaker. So we've got to do something around housing, something big. Um, you know, I, I I I was the sponsor of the economic development bill this January that created new housing reform legislation to open up more housing development. Uh, we've invested significant amounts of money in, in trying to build, create more housing stock, create more middle, middle income housing, especially uh, starter homes for young families to try to get prices down. We got to do more of that. I think we've got to be honest about the connection transportation has to housing. We've actually got a lot of areas of our state where there's comparatively lower cost housing, but it's very hard to get there because we don't have rail and we don't have other uh, transportation investments. So we got to be thoughtful about that. So all of these things are, are interconnected. Um, what I would say though, uh, not to kind of go on about this, but it, but it is a big topic is for Western Mass, I feel very strongly that if we do make the right decisions uh, right now, we will be huge beneficiaries of the change to hybrid and remote work uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one is we're a great place to live. <laughs> you know, we have a really high quality of life here. We've got great institutions. We've got great museums, great schools. There's a lot that could att that attracts people here and, and, and could keep people here. Historically, what we did not have was connection, connectivity to that red hot economy in Eastern Mass uh, or in the Metro New York area. But hybrid work can solve that. Someone can live in Springfield or Northampton or Greenfield or Holyoke or Longmeadow, and they can work anywhere in the world, uh, but stay here in Western Mass. That means that they can command salaries you know, that are on Boston and New York scales, but can live here, can pay taxes here, can invest in their homes and in their families here. Um, so we've got to take advantage of that. And we've got to 
do the catch-up we need to do in terms of high-speed broadband, low-cost broadband to all communities. Uh, we've got to invest in the transportation because people will need to occasionally get to other places. They got to be able to do it quickly and easily. Uh, and we've got to continue to stay in front of these housing issues because what we don't want to have happen is you don't want to see the same kind of gentrification and crowding out in Western Mass that you've seen right. in New York and in Boston, right? And so the way you, you do that is really emphasizing the smart growth catching the zoning up so that we're building more housing, we're building uh, uh, denser housing closer to transit, closer to people's work, um, so that we're, we're keeping the prices at a, at a point that people can afford, keeping the transportation networks up, and making sure local people are getting these job opportunities uh, as, the new, as the new positions come online. Well, let's watch, see what happens with that. I'm anxious to see what you're... Uh future of work commission comes up with. So in the minute or two that we have left, uh, another issue facing the state is redistricting. Uh, there is talk that uh, some of the districts in this uh, part of the state might change, uh, including Springfield. Uh, what are we hearing and uh, what does it mean? Yeah, so, so of course, uh, according to the Constitution and, and Massachusetts' own laws, uh, every 10 years there's a census. So there was a census in 2010, census in 2020, there'll be a census in 2030, and every 10 years after that. And the census uh, helps draw the lines for legislative representation at every level. Uh, so it draws lines for Congress, it draws lines for State Senate, for state house and also even for on a city council level, it helps inform ward and, and precinct data that cities and towns use as well. So the districts will change. Uh, they change every 10 years uh, because they have to keep up with the one person, one vote principle. So as populations change, as people move, come and go, the, the districts have to be reapportioned so that they're, they're roughly equal in size uh, by population. So that, that means that, that things will change. Um, you know, I feel very strongly that we've got to make sure that Western Mass maintains uh, representation in this kind of a system because we know that there has been population shift for all the reasons we talk about, George. You know, right. we, our economy hasn't grown as fast. Our population has aged. So uh, Western Mass proportionally is going to is going to probably see a population decrease vis-a-vis -vis Eastern Mass, which has continued to grow. But I think what we've got to make sure is that the sort of anchor regions, Springfield in particular, maintain as many representatives and senators as possible. So, you know, for Springfield, I feel strongly for 50 years, Springfield has had two senators representing it. It's a big city. It should continue to have two senators representing it. I'd also point out just the math of how a legislature works. Two voices fighting for someone is is something right. is, is going to be more effective than one. It also means two committee chairs, two people in a Democratic caucus pushing for things, uh, two, uh, two budget allotments that are uh, people are going to be fighting for. So I really do hope uh, that we're able to maintain two senators for Springfield. Is that on the table to bring Springfield down to one? Would, would you be that one under the current? 
Uh, I, you know, I don't know uh, because we don't have the numbers yet. Uh, the official census numbers don't come out until August. Uh, and because of COVID and the delays with the census that happened this year, uh, I think there's more uncertainty than usual about what those ultimate numbers uh, are going to show. I, I'm not on the redistricting committee and I'm, I, uh, I'm certainly not the chair of the redistricting committee. We, we have a committee that's kind of working through all of that right now and they're going to propose maps, you know, sometime obviously after the official numbers come out. Uh, but I, I think it's been widely talked about and is kind of widely acknowledged that the overall situation in Western Mass is the population vis-a-vis -vis Eastern Mass has continued to shrink. So in that sort of a context, what do we do about making sure that we've got as much uh, representation as we possibly can have? So it's, uh, it's, it's been a topic of conversation. It's on the table. The details are, are still pretty unclear, though. All right. Well, it all comes full circle. Uh, if this region wants better representation, it's going to need a higher population. To get a higher population, it's going to have to do all of the things that we talked about uh, in the last 20 minutes. So. Yeah, and I, and I would point out, you know, one of the arguments we make is I actually think that, you know, for, for decades now, you've seen a trend line uh, of, of consistent population decline, uh, especially in the farthest west, you know, right. in Berkshires and in Franklin County, it's been the most pronounced. But the trend line, especially relative to Eastern Mass, has been continued population decline. All of this is interconnected. It's tied to the decline in manufacturing, the loss uh, of economic uh, power in Western Mass. Young people feel like they need to leave this region in order to find jobs, in order to find opportunity. We've had a seismic shift in how our economy works as a result of COVID. People no longer need to physically live in the same location where they worked to the same extent that they did before COVID. So I actually think that that could see a reversal for the first time ever, at least in modern times, of the of the population uh, figures in Western Mass. And by the way, George, you're seeing this anecdotally, right, with real estate data, uh, because, uh, you know, real estate sales have been through the roof. Uh, and part of this is a is a is an acknowledgement now that if you can work remotely or work hybrid, Western Mass is actually a really great place to do that from. Okay. Well, lots to think about a lot on your plate. Um, Good luck with all this moving forward. A very exciting time for, for you and the Commonwealth. Uh, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Uh, we've got to keep doing this regularly. Uh, yeah. Lots to talk about. Uh, uh, great dialogue for our listeners. So, Eric, uh, thank you again for coming on. Uh, good luck with uh, the Alumni Achievement Award and with everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, George. Take care. Okay, you too. And thank you for listening to another episode of Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West. We look forward to seeing you next time.